we are thrilled to welcome back for the third time our first three-time guest, Zayas Caravala. Zayas, thank you so much for joining us today. Heads in the Cloud with your host, David Bordnowitz and John Roth. Welcome to today's episode of Heads in the Cloud. I'm David Portnowitz. I'm John Roth. Our, this is our 2021 kickoff edition, our first episode of the new year, and we are thrilled to welcome back for the third time our first three-time guest, Zayas Caravala. Yeah, Zayas, little, thank you so much for joining us today. A little golf well, clap. Guys, a little golf thank clap Thank you guys here. for having me. Maybe, uh, Excellent. maybe third, time, third time's the charm, they say, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're back by popular well, if you, if you, I'll Not come here three are... times. The first two must have been pretty good. That's yeah, what exactly. we always yeah. say. You know? <laughs> How was your uh, holiday and new year? I hope trust everything was okay and you're feeling all right. Yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't go into any riots. So, you know, that was uh, <laughs> that's a positive, I guess. Uh, it was pretty quiet, though. Um, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, you know, COVID ran, uh, running uh, rampant out there. You, you guys got to pick your spots where to go. So, but uh, it was nice to have the little break. Um, you know, certainly there's a lot going on in the world and the uh, in, in the technology area. Yeah. One of the exciting things I think about going into this year is that we look for technology to help us. You know, we, we work from home, and now we're going to look for technology to help us come out of the pandemic. And so it's, you know, it's never been more important. Yeah, well, something that we're, we're continuing to hear from our car partners and customers is that, you know, a lot of customers made decisions last year that were on the fly, they needed to do something really quick. And then they're, and now as they get into 2021, they're looking to rethink some of those decisions and put in more of a long term strategy as opposed to a, you know, a short term fix to get them either remote or to get them, you know, whatever the case was. Um, and like you said, I think tech, tech is, Tech went, you know, a lot of companies did, you know, 10 years of digital transformation in six months or whatever the case is. I've heard that quote a couple of times. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens this year and how companies take advantage of those, of a lot of new tech that's out there and, and, and see what, what kind of decisions they make to help get them through the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, I, I think um, it was, you know, it's sort of a mad scramble to get people up and working any way possible. And because of that, I think companies tended to overbuy, right? They bought two of everything or three of everything. And uh, you had a bit of a belt and suspenders approach. <clears throat> and now you're right, it is time to take a step back and go, well, what is it that we need? What is it we don't need? Where can we repair back spending? Uh, even how do I manage my workforce moving forward? I, I hear everything from, uh, you know, I was talking to Eric, you on the CEO of Zoom, and he's planning on having everybody in three days a week. You know, either, I talked to another company and they're planning to have people coming in shifts, right? So, um, it's there's no real clear roadmap as to how and when people come back to work. I know that uh, it's funny that uh, before the pandemic, everybody who went into an office every day wanted to work from home. And now all those people working from home are like, you know, I'd really like to go back to the office for a little bit. So, <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Frederick and I were just, uh, our producer Frederick and I were just talking about that late last week, how we were both yearning to get back into the office, maybe not five days a week, but certainly two or three days a week just to break up the monotony and and see everybody and 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 get that get a bit more human interaction and i i think if that happens that also means well, we're we're sort of in a better place with covid so i think all of that it signifies uh you know a bit of a rebound yeah so as we look at 2021 um and we think about what's going to happen this year i i 
I am interested in a couple of topics and I wanted to get your take on them. The first being sort of, you know, the continued consolidation of UCAS and, and, and what's going to happen there. I saw Zoom, what, I mean, where they hit a million users in two years on their Zoom phone or whatever it is, two or three years. So, I mean, I feel like there, there's more coming on the consolidation front. You know, what, what's your take? Yeah, I, I think you're right. We're, right now we have um, too much supply, I think, not enough demand because there's, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a bazillion UCAS vendors, right? And, and the, the, the challenge is that um, uh, I, I think it's fair to say that we all use multiple tools today, right? We use one for messaging, we could use one for video, we could use one for calling. And I think uh, some of the scares I've talked to are getting a little tired of paying for two or three platforms. Now, you had to do that before because, you know, Ring Central was the best calling platform, but you needed Zoom for video, you needed Slack for messaging. But uh, over the last year, especially, most of the vendors have gone through the process of building in all those extra capabilities. And so where we saw acquisitions before, it was to add capabilities, right? And so, you know, 8 by 8 bought a contact center company, right? Vonage bought a contact center company and a CPAS company. But now all the vendors, all the UCAS vendors, um, you know, are, are, have roughly the same type of offering ahead of them. And so I think in the past, what we saw was UCAS uh, consolidation, uh, or sorry, we saw acquisitions to add new capabilities. Mm -hmm. I think what we'll see moving ahead is acquisitions for consolidation and market share gains. And so I could easily see, you know, Ring Central's market caps, you know, enormous as it zooms. I could easily see them, you know, buying a, you know, a company like a Vonage or a Fuse or even a Star to Star or somebody like that, right? To add that subscriber base. Yep. Um, because, you know, now we're into a bit of a land grab. People are trying to expand regionally. They're trying to expand, you know, even to different parts of the globe. They're trying to add different kinds of buyers, right? Ring Central has a big calling base. They want meetings. As you talked about Zoom's 2 million phones, they have a big meeting base. They want, call, they want phones, right? And so a good way to get those subscribers might be through acquisition. And so I do think this year we'll see the continued acquisitions, but it's going to be for consolidation purposes. And we should expect that. We, we've seen this play out in, you know, in other industries, the, the, the non-cloud telephony industry, right? The traditional telephony market went through that years ago when you, know, you saw Mitel buy up a bunch of companies, you saw Vi and Nortel merge together, you saw Cisco buy some companies. You know, even in the early days of cloud, we saw Vonage roll up the Broadsoft base, right? For calling purposes, right? Now we'll see it for the full UCAS stack. And that actually includes CCAS as well. So we'll, we'll likely see some, um, uh, some consolidation of the contact center vendors as well. I didn't, I didn't, we didn't have a chance to talk after um, um, Salesforce bought Slack, you know, what was your, that was a, obviously a huge acquisition in terms of, you know, what happened in the industry and also in terms of money. Um, you know, what, what was your take on that? What do you think about that? I read, you know, I read a lot from, from Gartner and from, and from some of the analysts on what they thought, you know, what do you think? Well, I like the acquisition from, from a, a Salesforce perspective and I liked it from a Slack perspective. I, Slack's an interesting company in that I don't, um, I think Slack was, was really put in a, they, they were put in a box, right? Where they, because Microsoft rolled up Teams, you know, Cisco WebEx has their own messaging, uh, Ring Central has their own messaging, Zoom has their own messaging now. It was getting harder and harder for them to grow. In fact, if you looked at all the public traded companies that got a COVID kick, you know, from, from a stock price perspective, Slack wasn't one of them. Slack's stock price uh, a year after, 
you know, today is lower than it was when the pandemic started. So it was right? slacking you know, a little bit. It was slacking. Yeah, it was slacking a little bit, right? But uh, you know, Avaya stock price doubled. Uh, Zooms went up. I don't know, twenty times, something like that. And Slack didn't really get that kick. And part of it is because I, I think, as I talked about, I don't, I don't think companies really want to pay for standalone products before. And, and maybe the messaging capabilities get Microsoft Teams or Zoom or Ring isn't quite as rich as Slack, but for most workers, it's good enough, Yeah. right? And, um, and you can use those things. And so if you're a superpower user of messaging, maybe you stick with Slack. Uh, but I think what, what that brings Slack by being rolled into Salesforce is the integration into a much broader suite. So for, for Salesforce, right, obviously people live in Salesforce. And um, it, it's funny that this, consolidation is finally happening because years and years and years ago, if you guys remember the old paper magazine business communications review, the last article that I had written for that, the paper version of that, which became no jitter, was um, that workers didn't want more apps. They wanted more functionality built into the apps they already use. Case in point, Salesforce. If I'm in Salesforce and I want to talk to you, you know, David, I, and then I got to flip over to Slack and then flip back and I'm cutting and pasting information and things, right? So if I can just have it integrated together in one tight little bundle, I think that makes some sense. I think, I do think Salesforce overpaid for it uh, a little bit, but um, you know, don't you think, stock don't you think it was a lot about Microsoft for them? Don't you think they're trying to, I mean, it seems like there's like a little bit of an arms race there between the two of them in terms of, you know, they saw what, what 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 Microsoft was doing with Teams, and they felt like they needed something to compete. That. I don't know. That was my sort of read on you know my quick sort of analysis on what I saw. Oh, I, I absolutely believe that's the case. I, I think when you come to uh, providing uh, worker tools, um, there there there's also you know there's a land grab going on there. People want to collect more data, and you know Microsoft certainly has tons on you know of. of uh, of desktop space right between the the office franchise email you know teams things like that the one the one piece that salesforce still doesn't have is the calling side right and so they could be an acquirer in that ucas consolidation uh there's you know they they partner with amazon now on the contact center side and i know they've kind of eyed the calling market for a long time um that's a that's a much tougher discipline as you guys know right providing high quality calling services so We'll see if they go down that route, but they are missing that piece still. And um, you know, they certainly have um, you know the the, the 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 resource to go get it if they want. But but the Slack acquisition, I think, was a was a good one for them. Like I said, I do think they overpaid some, but I've always felt that if an acquisition is a good acquisition, um, you can't really pay too much, right? Like yeah. if you think back to, you know, what did Cisco pay for Celsius to get into voice over IP? Does anybody even remember if they had paid 10 times what they did, nobody, you know, we still would have thought of it as a successful acquisition. So I, th I think it was a, a strong move for, you know, for Benioff to get into some of the productivity things and we'll see, you know, where they go from there, but clearly there's more coming, right? Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned they're missing the calling side because a lot of people would argue teams is still too, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. you know, we, we are constantly, we, we have a Microsoft teams integration for our own voice and it's, we sell a ton of it because people are, you know, they, they want to live in teams, which is fine, but they, but the voice out of it is awful. And, you know, they, they're still looking for that. I think Ring offers it and eight Vonage, they all offer yeah. that team integration. And there's a couple behind the scenes companies that kind of do it for everybody. Um, but, you know, it's, it's still a, a feature that a lot of companies, especially in the mid-sized space that 
maybe don't have, you know, they don't have everybody on teams, you know, they, they, they only, you know, they've got a thousand employees, but they only want 500 of them on teams and they want the other 500, you know, they don't want to pay for that license, but they want to all be on the same dial plan. That's where, you know, star to star or some of ring central comes in and provides a dial provides dial for them, but a bit high quality. And then you don't have two different, you know, dial plans happening at the same time. So it's a cost savings as well. So yeah, well, clearly there's no vendor, there's no vendor that has mastered the art of good enough, quite like Microsoft, right? <laughs> so they're, you know, I, I don't think Teams is a great product either. You know, I, whenever I run Teams, the WebRTC version takes 30 seconds to load on my Mac. There's, there's a lot of problems getting screens to refresh. The, the calling, uh, while they have calling, you're right, it's barely calling. It's yeah. sort of good enough to get in the door. But the one thing Microsoft has really done a good job of is marketing to the IT pro, right? And so if IT is making the decision, then you put it on the user's desk and the user has to shut up and live with it. Now, a lot of times users will go out and start using other tools, right? And yeah. um, uh, the, the, and uh, uh, you know that's where a lot of where shadow IT comes from because the Microsoft tools have historically not been great, so. Yeah. And yeah, one other, just one final word on Slack. Yeah, 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 go, go for it. It's an interesting, um, product because whenever companies have tried, it's very, once they get a customer, because you store so much data in Slack, like people store everything in Slack, right? Files, they, you know, they, they store all the financials, things like that. It's incredibly difficult to migrate away from because it's now become your repository for all your corporate data. And I don't know how Slack managed to pull that off, but you know, once that happens, then it's a, it's a much stickier product than even like a Zoom, right? Because you can move off Zoom pretty easily and Maybe you don't like the features of, you know, say Ring Central video or you know WebEx or whatever, but um, it's it doesn't really disrupt you. If if you moved off of Slack, you would literally have to run both products for years because until you figure out a way to get all the data out of there. Yeah. Well, it's it's similar to us. I mean, in a lot of companies in our like our space that run, you know, Google Drive or Google, you know, you know, G Suite, um, you know, that's where all of our files are, and that's where. Exactly. So it'd be it would you know we were like okay we're moving to Outlook we're moving to Microsoft. For email, you know, we have to. That would that, be a that huge, would be a project, yeah, yeah, major project. So I I, I read something uh, that you actually are launching a new video podcast called Z Zcast. Yeah, Can you tell us about that. Yeah, the first episode to go up today. In fact, if you look at my YouTube page, uh, click to subscribe. I did a video podcast series to kick it off at the end of twenty. Uh, at the end of 2020 called the 12 Days of Cloudness, in which I interviewed thought leaders from 12 different uh, cloud collaboration companies. It actually wound up being 14, so there's two bonus days, and they're all in my YouTube channel. So I'm pretty excited about that. It's been, you know, one piece of what I do that's kind of been missing. I Obviously, I write a lot for a lot of public media sites, you know, EV, Silicon Angle, Network World, things like that. Um, you know, no jitter, there's a ton of my content, but uh, I didn't really have a lot of video content out there. And so I'll, I'll do video podcasts. I'll also turn them into regular uh, podcasts, similar to what you guys are doing here. But uh, I'll try and do it weekly. Uh, I'll be looking for, um, you know, thought. I'll, I'll, part of that, I'll also do like a thought leadership series. So I'll be looking for industry thought leaders to interview as well. So, well, call us up. We're ready to go whenever you need us. All right. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> you guys can be on three times. <laughs> okay. Well, as no, I that, at least at least three times. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so another topic that I'm hearing a lot about, and I would love to for you to explain a little bit to our listeners, is the idea of this secure access service edge sort of taking over SD WAN. Can you talk to us a little bit about 
what that is and, and what, what the future of that looks like. Cause you know, that it's, it's sort of a, you know, a burgeoning technology and, and, you know, we're, it's, it's disrupting. Yeah. Um, first of all, I hate the term secure access service. I don't even really understand what it's supposed to mean. Right? Yeah, so exactly. It's a secure, you know, but whatever. Um, but it's, um, you know, it, it's the concept of having cloud delivered network and security services, right? And SD-WAN is part of that. Now, if you think of the, the what happens when you move to an SD-WAN, right? So with the traditional network, all of my network services and all of my um, security services are located, are resident on appliances in physical branches. Right. And so I open up a branch office. I've got 10 people in there. I buy a Cisco router. I buy a Fortigate firewall. You know, maybe I buy a Palo Alto intrusion prevention system. And I deploy all these things on a location by location basis. Now, that's, <clears throat> that's pretty expensive. It worked well for the vendors because they get to, you know, 100 locations. They get to say 100 boxes. Right. Um, but now, as I move to SD WAN and gone to this. Uh, you know, a completely different model, right? A much later weight edge. Now, in that traditional model, David, I will say that companies didn't do that. What they wound up doing was deploying this traditional hub and spoke type of network where I put all my security in my central hub and then already spoke with my branch. And then I connect all my users back across that spoke and then I secure it that way, right? And so that's the most cost-effective way to do that. It's not very network effective because in essence, what I'm doing is I'm backhauling all my traffic up and down those spokes. And so I got to buy a lot of a lot more bandwidth. So then along came SD-WAN and said, stop the madness, right? You don't need to deploy your network that way. You can use low cost broadband instead of high cost MPLS. You can have your users access the cloud directly, right? And uh, it creates a much more kind of agile, efficient WAN. In fact, SD-WAN was awesome for work from home. Right, because now if I'm working from home, I can have my broadband connection, a little tiny appliance, or even a software client on the computer, and now I look like I'm part of the corporate network. So the problem is, how do I secure that? Right, if, you know, you, David Portonwitz, am I going to give you a Palo Alto firewall to drop into your home? Right, probably not. Probably it's, not. Uh, it's a little expensive. <laughs> yeah, you, you probably wouldn't like your electric bill after that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, because those things tend to chew up a lot of power. So the question is, how do I secure these all these locations? And I and I have to start thinking about edge locations. I have to think about IoT devices, right? These things are all connected. And so the WAN, you could argue today, has gone from branch offices to branch offices plus edge locations plus home workers plus IoT devices. And so to secure that, I need a new way to do that. <clears throat> and so that's what SASE is. It takes a lot of that security capability and pushes it up into the cloud. And so now you working from home instead of connecting back to your corporate location immediately, you would connect up to this cloud resource first, and then you would pick up your firewall services and things like that from there. And so what SASE does is it, um, it just, it, it modernizes security and, and makes it, uh, it takes advantage of the ubiquity of the cloud to allow you to deploy security services everywhere. If you, if you think about what's happened in the world, every aspect of technology has been adapted to take advantage of the cloud, mm -hmm. except for networking and security, right? So SD-WAN did that for networking, SASE does that for security. Yeah, and I know back in 2019, I was reading a report on this just recently that Gartner said by 2024, 40% of companies will have adopted a SASE strategy. I would think that number has gone up since the pandemic probably. Yeah, I think that number is way conservative. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can do SD-WAN without 
Well, you could. You could do SD-WAN without SASE, but what you would be doing then is you would be kind of replicating legacy architecture, right? And, and that's very typical too. If you think of the first wave of any new technology, it's to make the new stuff look like the old stuff, right? So think as far back as, you know, the, you know I'm, I'm seeing you guys in video, so I can see you guys some gray hairs. So, but, you know, think about the, the, the very first PC application was a mainframe. Well, that was, that was hurtful. That was hurtful. Yeah. <laughs> but we tried to, well, but true. Uh, uh, <laughs> so we tried to make our PCs look like mainframes. When we deployed voice over IP systems, we, we took them and we, um, you know, we, we maintained the, the legacy architecture of putting one in every branch, right? When we first started using cloud, we just lift and shifted legacy apps up into the cloud. So we have this thirst for whatever reason to, uh, to take new stuff and make it look like old stuff. And then once we figure out, wow, this new stuff can do a whole lot more than the old stuff, then we change what we do, right? So that's why with VoIP, you can do forge and download across the globe. You can drop it into people's homes. And the same thing with SD-WAN. The first wave of SD-WAN was people simply just connecting, replacing their traditional MPLS circuits with broadband, but maintaining the legacy architecture. Now we're like, well, what am I doing that for? I can give users direct access to cloud. I can have home workers part of my WAN, but I need to change the security along with it. And so it's very consistent with the way we evolve technology. Cool, cool. Um, you know, one of the other things, and, and uh, I only talk about this only because I just got an iPhone 12 and I see it pop up on my phone now, is the idea so that 5G is going to be more widespread than it is today um, and going to be a bit of more of a complement for Wi-Fi. Is, is that, I know we talked about that, I think maybe even the first time we spoke, um, you know, what, what, is that still the case or is, 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 are we, are we still thinking that's going to be true in, in, in this year? Or what, what, what's your, where's your, where's your, there's a lot, there's a lot of debate about this actually at VMworld uh, in 2020, uh, Pat Gelsinger, who just announced today he's going to Intel to be their new CEO, and we can talk about that a little bit if you want, but he he actually made a prediction and he said 5G would displace Wi-Fi globally. And um, I, I think that's a bit of a bold statement. I don't think that's yeah. quite true. There are other people that say 5G will never hurt Wi-Fi, and I don't think that's true either. I think the truth, as is always the case, lies somewhere in the middle, right? <laughs> and and I, But I do think if you think about Wi-Fi, right? Have you ever been to a conference center? You're sitting there, you're tweeting away, you're taking pictures, you're Snapchatting, you're YouTubing or whatever. And then the keynote starts and everybody jumps on Wi-Fi and nothing works, right? Um, Wi-Fi is inherently flaky. It's low cost, right? It's, it's near ubiquitous today. It's very easy to set up. So people like it. Uh, we run it in our homes, right? It works pretty good uh, most of the way. In fact, it's a good enough technology. And... Um, uh, but it, it, because it does have some flakiness to it, it isn't used everywhere. You never see organization running critical systems, right? Factory floor equipment, even a lot of hospital equipment. You do not use Wi-Fi because it is subject to interference from microwaves. It's subject to, you know, if, if you have too many access points, if you've ever been like in a downtown area and you try and hop on a Wi-Fi access point at a Starbucks, or whatever, and the list of APs you get come up, you know, you know, more than your screen can handle, it doesn't work well because you get so much contention from the yeah. other Wi-Fi APs and really the strongest one works. And so over time, what's happened is the Wi-Fi industry has actually taken a lot of the principles from cellular, right? Um, and uh, 
you know, even things like MIMO and stuff like that came from the cellular world to make Wi-Fi work more like cellular. So if we're, instead of trying to make Wi-Fi work more like cellular, why don't we just use cellular? Now, there's a couple of ways we could do that. I don't believe that, you know, I know, you know, Verizon and AT&T and the guys, you know, they are trying to position their 5G as a strong in-building technology. And I think that model is fundamentally flawed. I've talked to lots and lots of network managers who say, well, if we use them, then they own our data. So if yeah. we want to do any kind of analytics on our data in store or whatever, now we got to pay for our own data, right? So that model doesn't work. Um, but but there are have been a handful of private, you know, uh, infrastructure companies building 5G radios. There's a company out of the Bay Area called Salona Networks. They just got some funding uh, that does that, where you can deploy 5G radios that look and deploy like Wi-Fi. So I use a controller. I put access points around. And so now 5G becomes as easy to deploy as Wi-Fi. And so it's more expensive though, right? So a 5G radio, if I, I can go buy a low-end Chromebook with Wi-Fi for 200 bucks, a low-end Lenovo laptop within an integrated 5G eSIM, so I don't need an actual physical SIM card, is about 1500 bucks, right? So I'm not gonna give that to every worker by any stretch, right? But where I might use it is for critical systems. And so I think because the technology has now gotten easier to deploy, I can deploy it alongside Wi-Fi. Um, uh, I, do, I do think you will see 5G coming in and used for critical systems. As Will it deploy Wi-Fi? I think, sure, at the margin it will. Um, yeah. And I also think as the price curve comes down, that's when it becomes a threat for Wi-Fi long-term. But I also think that you know, we need the Cisco's and Aruba's and you know, extreme networks and companies like that to start selling this as a complement to Wi-Fi. I don't think it should be positioned as a, as a, you know, as a replacement for it because it just, it's too expensive today. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, like you said, I think there is some practical use for it. I think on a mass scale, it's not ready yet, like you mentioned. Um, you know, do you think the guys like AT&T and Verizon will try to to get the Cisco's and the Arubas to create those, you know, to sort of white label that stuff. Like, do you think do you think that there's a market there for that? Um, yeah, probably. I think down small market, mid market, where you want to buy all your services from, you know, from your service your service provider. I yeah. think it's more it's more likely to happen in Europe, where the there's a, a bit of a the BTs and Vodas and companies like that are held in a bit higher regard than the North American operators, and rightly so. It's not like these guys, you know, the AT&T's and Comcast and things, they, they don't really scream customer service, right? So, um, uh, and, and so because of that, I, I, I do think uh, uh, in Europe, you'll, you're more likely to see a service provider have some success there short term. Uh, we'll see if they get their act together here. Uh, but I do think the entry point for 5G in the enterprise is, a network, is an in-building network technology. I'm not talking about people wandering around or, you know, right. going to a Taylor Swift conference or, you know, or a concert <laughs> or something. Uh, you know, there's an inbuilding technology will will come through the network channel, right? So, yeah, I know that's interesting. You, know, and you think of companies like Juniper; they they have a big, big service provider base. They'd be an ideal company to move into that as well, right? Yeah. Let's talk about uh, artificial intelligence and everything. That was one of the topics that uh, we thought would be interesting, especially coming from you. That was uh, you kind of look your little futuristic. You look out there and say so. Well, what's your, what's your take on that being in everything that we use? How, how, how do you I, see that happening? I, I love AI. I, I think it's going to be the most transformative tech, thing in technology that we've ever seen. 
Uh, it's going to make it. I think a lot of people fear it, um, but I don't. You know, I don't think that we're headed to a world where you know our Teslas are going to rise up and kill us and things like that. Right? So, uh, well, I don't know. You know, you I like it words. myself. I mean, I, I got to tell you. I mean, to to be able to get on and and have uh, we've been using a tool in our marketing department for what three or four years now, David. That basically was one of the original AI is actually would. Uh, send out information to uh, our prospective partners and we'd get responses and it had replies and it just bubbled everything to the top and it helped made it easier for our salespeople to, you know, connect with those people that were uh, integrating. They were, they were asking questions, getting yeses and, and sketching appointments. And it was just phenomenal. And I think that, you know, I, I don't fear it myself. I, I, I think it's something that's, uh, we have it and have it in everyday use and what we're doing it understands our patterns it it, it adapts to us and i i think it's something that uh i think it removes a lot of the heavy lifting from the things that we do and can make tasks that we don't do easier to do right so i'll give you an example i was talking with um, the good folks over at math general hospital and a few years ago they started using ai systems to look at mris when they first did that the doctors were dead set against it that's their job right they look at mris you know, but what they found was an AI could spot like an anomaly in an MRI, like a brain bleed or something that's so small that it wasn't really discernible to the, you know, to a doctor's, you know, human eye, even under like super high power microscopes, right? So, um, so what that's allowed the doctors to do is to spend more time um, treating patients and less time diagnosing MRIs. And so their ability to treat patients has gone way up, right? That's a perfect use case. I talked to you know, security professionals that they're overwhelmed with the amount of data that that's that comes up in their you know security management systems. In fact, if you think back to every big breach that we've seen over the last you know 10 years, thinking like the target breach or whatever, the security vendor in there claimed we caught it, right? But there was so much noise that you know on the screen that the security pros really couldn't do anything with it. And so there's another case where if they can spend less time trying to diagnose the problem and more time fixing the problem, yeah. that would be ideal. I think the well, same is true for operations. Even in our personal lives, you look at the use of AI, things like, you know, by and large, most people most people aren't good parallel parkers, but just one little feature of parallel park assist makes a huge difference, right? And producing congestion in cities, so you don't have to wait for the person in front of you to figure out how to get the, you know, go back and forth 16 times before they finally get the car in, which backs traffic <laughs> up. There's AI systems that they can tell you where parking spots are so you're not driving around constantly, right? Uh, even the, I think the, the speech interfaces that we have that, um, that, you know, on our phones and in our cars are much better today than they were even a few years ago, right? So now we don't have to rely on having to pick up our phone and like, you know, you know Google, you know, where is, uh, you know, legal seafood or something like that right and um you know which which again it has a risk of causing accidents and so i think the a good way to think about what ai can do is it can remove a lot of the friction that we have in the world from a lot of the manual processes that we've we've, we've gotten frankly we've kind of gotten accustomed to but we shouldn't have to <clears throat> i also think it, it it can have a profound kind of impact even on customer service right like you think of like an airline application if you go to the airline app, it kind of shows you the same info all the time. But if I'm at the airport and I'm 30 minutes before my flight and I'm just checking in, what it should tell me is, you know, the TSA checkpoint down at, you know, Concourse C, 
you know, it's got fewer right. people in there, go yeah. through there, turn left, and you'll get to your gate within four minutes or something, right? Like, mm -hmm. but then once I'm at my gate, then it should show me that here's your in-flight, you know, things. And once I've landed, show me here's where my connecting gate is. And so what AI can do, even the very basic AI, is it can really help personalize the way you interact with the vendors that, that you use, right? And and so I think we are, and we're already seeing AI and everything, right? It's in a lot of home devices, um, you know, Alexas and Google Homes, things like that. Um, you know, the uh, a, a lot of the, you know, desktop devices, I'm actually talking about a Cisco Desk Pro, this thing's loaded with GPUs. Uh, it's being built into cars. Um, you know, there's a, I, I was playing, I saw, uh, you know, on stream, David had a golf club at his hand. I was playing at a golf simulator over the weekend. And, you know, that thing is loaded up with, you know, AI analytics and things like that. In fact, if you watch an NFL broadcast, they have AWS ads about how yeah. to use analytics. Yeah, to those, yeah. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's, we're, it's already, you can start to see it creeping its way into everything, but it, I, but it, but it makes our life better. And that's, that's the thing that people don't understand. Well, I, I think you, you said a, an interesting word, the noise. There is so much data that is put in front of us that there is no possible way that we could analyze that data. You know, uh, well, you could if you spent, that was your whole day, your whole job, and you had an analytics person that was went through it. But to have an AI actually go and find those things, uh, like the target breach, you said there was, yeah. they saw it, but there was so much noise that it just happened. And I, yeah, I and, think, and, and I think even, I think you're overestimating people's cognitive abilities now. I think we've yeah. gotten to the point where there is so much data today, even your best data analytics person really yeah. can't analyze that much data. You know, maybe Spock could. But as far well, as I know, yeah. we haven't really cut a deal with the, you know, the Klingon Empire um, yet to, to, to bring Vulcans over. So in lieu of that, um, I, I think we need AI and, uh, you know, that to me, it, it's, um, you know, for people coming into the workforce now, this is tremendously exciting. I know, um, you know, there's a lot of fear that it might, you know, one question I get asked all the time is, will it take jobs away? Yeah, absolutely. But I, but I think it'll create more jobs on the back end. So, you know, the, 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 you know, the industrial revolution took away a lot of jobs as well, but it created more jobs after the fact. And I think it's the same kind of, you know, the AI revolution will, will have a very similar impact. Yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the amount of, yeah, having an analytics person just sit there and do analytics, they're still going to miss stuff because they're, they're human. Yeah. AI is actually, you could just tweak that down to the point of actually. And everything you do today from your smartphone to, like I said, you know, when you're golfing, uh, I, I don't know, that David, I say with golf, do you use any of the golf apps, like Hole 19, things like that, right? Yeah, I, I, I know, I'm glad you noticed. I just started taking, i trying to improve my golf game and shave some strokes off. So I just started taking some lessons um, and I'm going to this place called Golf Tech and they use a ton of AI stuff when you go there to do the video lessons um, and they give you a ton of material to take home with you. And a lot of it is like, you know, analyzing your swing. And one thing I noticed was that I should work on opening up my grip. And so that's what I was practicing when I was holding the golf club. I was practicing like, I'm changing my grip to a more sort of neutral grip and it feels really weird, but I'm just trying to like do it, you know, a bunch of times a day to make it feel a little bit more normal. So, but yeah, that's another use case of AI. But, but everything we do today generates data. Yeah. Right? And, and th there's so much data that people just can't analyze it fast enough. And sometimes, you know, one of the challenges is you don't really know what you're looking for, right? Like you're looking for those key insights in the data 
but often you don't know what those key insights are until you find them. Yeah. And so what AI is, you know, are really good for machine learning algorithms can find those anomalies. It can connect the dots for us and all that data that we can't really connect manually. Yeah. And, you know, and data can always be manipulated based on who's trying to prove a point. So, well, that, and so that is one of the challenges of AI, right? It's called, you know, it's called biased AI, where the people that are doing, you know, because because no AI AI systems aren't self-learning. There has to be an initial wave of people teaching the AI how to do things, and so you do get a lot of bias in AI, right? And so that that's become a with all the social justice going on now in the world that has become an issue, right? Like our, our you know, our. Um, you know, people of color being singled out through AI engines more so than, you know, the people not. So, um, and, and, I, and I do think that's something that a society we need to figure out how to work out because I, I, if you, whenever you have people that do any kind of training, no matter how good your intentions are, there, there will be some sort of bias built into it, good or bad, right? And, um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. you know, that's something I, you know, as a, that, that's where I'd like to see the, you know, I don't, I don't want to see too much government regulation, but there has to be some kind of standards put in place that help at least regulate, you know, the, the, the growth of this, because it's coming, it's coming fast, right? Well, it's going to be, a, it'll be a new industry. Yeah, one of the interesting stats. It'll be a new, it'll be a new buzzword that'll be used for people that basically are in that, that, that field and basically, uh, you know, have the, the, you know, take the bias out of it if we can. So, uh, yeah, and one of the one of the risks I think to the U.S. here too is that are we really on board with this? Right? I saw, uh, and and this is again is where we need a government to evangelize it more. We don't really have. You think back to the early days of the internet. We had John Chambers running around talking about how great the internet was and how it was going to change the world. Outside of maybe Jensen Huang at Nvidia, we don't really have that kind of spokesperson here. And I was at an Nvidia event a couple of years ago, looking at some data from a company who. They surveyed every country in the world and asked them um, to get a temperature of how excited the people were, the, the population was about the general people were about AI. China was off the charts positive, but there in China, the government does you know crazy evangelists for AI. Italy and France were the lowest, right? Um, the US was kind of middle of the pack. But in Italy and France, they they like their history. They like things to stay the way mm -hmm. they are. And they've mm -hmm. done very little in the way of promoting AI. And so mm -hmm. I, I think in order to make it societally acceptable, we, we do need um, the business world or the government or preferably both to really step up and, you know, and, and, and help people understand what the benefits are. Because what I hear mostly is a lot of fear. People run into yeah, their jobs needs, and things like that. Someone needs, they need to instill some consumer confidence and it's not there yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. That just takes time with anything else, any new technology. Yeah, but if you, but if you don't have a plan to, if you don't have a plan to do it, then it's never going to happen. So I think, yeah, I think that's exactly that's that's sort of the point there. But, anyways, Zayas, I want to I want to wrap it up there. I know you've given us uh, a ton of time today. We yeah, really appreciate it. As always, our insights are uh, second to none. Uh, we we love chatting with you, and maybe maybe just maybe we'll get to see you in person at some point this year we'll, we'll see who knows <laughs> um, be nice it would be great to it would be great to do that and uh i, I got a question for you though before we, oh you got one last it. question all right go ahead buddy here's the last question so you're you're a star trek fan a trekkie correct oh yeah if you could be one character for a day who would that be and why oh that's a tough one my my uh you know, Spock's awfully cool because uh, um, you know he, you know, he, uh, 
just because he's so smart and can copy and everything, and he's always so calm about everything. Uh, but I, but I think if you can be one character for a day, it's it's James T. Kirk. Illogical. He's got the lethal two-handed karate chop to the back. <laughs> he's always calm under pressure. He can be surrounded okay. by six guys, make a joke, and then beat them all up. Right. So <laughs> okay, all right. That, that's that's legitimate. Yeah. I'll take plus, that. He, he breaks all the rules and gets away with it. So who doesn't you know who doesn't want to do that? Plus, so. plus if you could look like if you could look like Chris Pine, you know, no offense to William Shatner, but if you could look like Chris Pine, that wouldn't be too bad either. Well, you're talking to a Canadian here, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, w- William Shatner has set the benchmark for Captain Kirk's for throughout time. So <laughs> good point, good point. And he's still, he still, he still is. Uh, you know what he does? He runs his own show now. He is just. Uh, I, I still love to watch Shatner and some of the commercials he does, and so yeah, he's great. He's, yeah, he's yeah. great. Well, thanks yeah, for being on the show. It's been yeah. phenomenal again. Yeah, and, no, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be here, guys. I think I think we should have a vote, David and Frederick. Do you think we should have a Zayus on for a fourth time? Absolutely. We gotta we gotta have Zayus back on okay. after to tell us about his Zcast videos, how those are going. Okay, perfect. And and, and Zayus, uh, just just before we go, where can people find you out there on, on the, in the in the social world? Oh well, you can uh, you can find me on Twitter at that's Caravalli. You can find me on Instagram. I've started doing that more. Um, uh, certainly look me up on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, and uh, I just, like I just said, I just started the new YouTube channel. So, um, um, you know, uh, subscribe to all of them. I'd be more than happy. And, you know, you'll <laughs> like, get, a lot of, right. get a lot of content on tech and Star Trek. So. Yes, absolutely. Well, absolutely great to have you on. Have a fantastic first half of the year. We'll try to catch up with you in the second half and uh, talk soon. Thank you so right, much. You Bye. Have a great day. Well, it was great to have Zayas on and catch up with him. Um, how was your holiday break, John? And how how was your New Year's? Uh, they were great. I gained a few pounds, but I've already lost Same. it. That for me, in, in uh, that's a that's a great way to start any year of not uh, not starting and not losing it. So, but had a good time. Had the had the kids and the grandkids over and uh, got them out of here within I think four hours, which was kind of. Kind of good because it's kind of like nap time, you know what I mean? It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> good, I'm glad to hear it. Everyone's safe. And Mine was great, um, low key, especially with all I'm the good. social distance stuff. Trying to keep it just with our immediate family and my parents and my brother and his his wife. So just uh, kept it, but it was it was nice. It was a nice break, um, and uh, happy to be back in 2021. Excited about the new year. Excited yes. about um, a lot of the opportunities that are going to come our way at Star to Star and, 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 and in, the, in the industry. And um, a lot of things that Zayas is talking about are going to be incredibly relevant to us for this next year. So, um, Absolutely. I, I agree. I agree. That was a great show. And I uh, always, always love having him on because he's just, you know, he, he knows so much about so different things. And we can, yeah. I, I, I learned just sitting there listening to him. So, uh, yeah. It was a good show. He should definitely be on a fourth time. So, Frederick, <laughs> we'll make sure that happens. We'll have to call sure. it 4K, right? 4K? Yeah. It'll be his, his next appearance. Well, um, I'm glad we got a chance to catch up, John, and and, uh, and kick kick off the new year right. Uh, we're going to have a great 2021 on Heads in the Cloud. we got a lot of special things planned, stuff that I haven't even Absolutely. told Frederick about, but we're going to do. And, yep. uh, <laughs> and uh, that's it. So, for Heads in the Cloud, we're right. going Uh, John Roth. And we'll see you next time.